0: Good evening, this is Justin Ford for From the Frontline. Tonight we are dealing with the message, meaning, and mission of Christmas. In the studio with me is Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder of Frontline Fellowship, who has been involved in serving persecuted Christians for over 40 years in 38 countries. Dr. Hammond, last week you were away on a mission in KwaZulu Natal. What kind of a mission was this? Well, I was invited to speak at the
1: youth conference at the KwaZulu Mission Station, and interestingly enough, next year, June, will be the 50 years that they've been running these youth conferences, twice a year. So that means July next year will be 100 youth conferences in the last 50 years, which is phenomenal. They started with a few dozen youth and then came to hundreds, and lately it's been thousands. Uh, They're averaging now about 7,000 young people participating in each youth conference, and of which about 5,000 come from outside, across the country, people driving from other provinces far and wide in Pumalanga, Kauteng, Limpopo, Northern Province, all coming in there, and the emphasis this time was be strong in the Lord. Now, one should just say about this youth conference that's so amazing is not just the amount of children, but the conference is completely free. Quasimenter Mission sponsors the students; they come there and they get free accommodation, they get free food, and not just food—good food. I mean, really, really good, generous um, catering, and it's an amazing achievement. And of course, this is only possible because of the missions self-supporting farm uh, model that they've got. Going back all the way to the 1850s, the beginning of this mission from Germany, these Lutheran missionaries came out and they established, they didn't just send out missionaries, they sent out communities with the missionaries to be a support base. So the carpenters, the farmers, they all went together and they created the blacksmiths, whatever skills they were bringing, they created a community to support the missionary. And that's what's happening still to this day. And all of the farmers and people involved in the work are co-workers and counselors and prayer warriors. And that's how this phenomenal mission station, Kwasi Sabantu in KwaZulu-Natal, is able to host thousands of kids, providing them with beds and, and accommodation. Just to give you an idea of the logistics, to provide enough water for these thousands of guests and so on, their water each day is about 500,000 liters a day. That's to provide people with showers and wash basins and everything else needed. Um, And so while I was there, in fact, water pressure was quite low um, to have a shower. And uh, as you could imagine when you've got... And they said the reason for the water pressure being low was mainly because of the power failures and uh, the scheduled power failures. They weren't able to pump up enough water uh, from the dam and from the boreholes into the the, um, containers for the showers and so on. So that's why the water pressure was low. They'd manage normally, but now they need to get more generators to cover even the pumps from the dam and so on to ensure that there's sufficient water pressure for. So that's just one logistical side, quite aside from all the different, the bread and the f- fruit and the juice and everything else that the kids are getting, vegetables and so on. So what an amazing operation. And uh, I was invited to speak on Be Strong in the Lord and the Power of His Might. So one of my presentations was on how to be free, dealing with deliverance, spiritual warfare, and... Um, on the whole armor of God, and the other one was dealing with um, importance of being a witness. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So the emphasis being on the Great Commission and the power that comes from Pentecost to enable us to be effective witnesses. So evangelism and spiritual warfare was the main thrust of my input. And after every presentation, people would remain behind for counseling. And there's many counselors there, All the co-workers make themselves available for counselling, whether teachers, youth workers, missionaries, even the farmers and others. And sometimes they were busy till midnight counselling people, people seeking to be right with God, confessing sin, seeking to be led to the Lord, seeking deliverance, healing, and so on. So um, that was a really interesting mission. And while I was there, I took it upon myself during their sports day because they had a sports day on a Tuesday which was the only day that was dry. It was raining and misty every day, solidly, except for Tuesday, which was the sports day. Just showed God's providence. It was wonderful. But my sports day was sorting out the literature store. Over the years, we've sent a lot of literature up there, hundreds of Bibles, thousands of books, hundreds of thousands of gospel booklets. But um, literature is our ministry speciality, so I saw the need to just help them sort out their literature store and made a full inventory and It involved moving tons of books and bibles and gospel booklets, categorizing them, languages, translations, um, all different materials as needed to make it easy for the people to see, to access, and to distribute. We distributed thousands of gospel booklets to the students there um, during the conference while I was there as well and sent boxes of gospel booklets with each bus and truck that's taking the people back to many farms and different churches. Um, broadway, Narrowway posters and other great scriptural materials so uh, it was a busy time of preaching uh, counselling and lots of interaction, planning with other people meeting very interesting people from all over the world. There were people there from Russia, from um, Ivory Coast, met people who were heads of other missions coming past as well and a uh, wide variety of languages speaking to people from Romania, Mozambique, uh, just, just extraordinary opportunities. So uh, it's like a bit of a reverse Pentecost, you know, where in evangelism, you go out to the world, but in revival, the world comes to you. And Kwasa bunch has had this privilege for the last 50, 60 years that the world's been coming to them. And as an evangelist, Earl Stegen went out into communities and evangelized in the hills and the valleys and... Since the revival blessings poured out in of people have been pouring in there. It's a real, it's like a magnet. It just attracts people. And these, these youth conferences are some of the busiest time of ministry in a busy year. So it's wonderful to be part of that. And next year, 100 um, uh, youth conferences will have been held. So that's quite something we're looking forward to.
0: Yeah, that sounds remarkable indeed. Um, and amidst all the noise and clamor of um, advertising and shopping sprees that we're experiencing now during the what they call the silly season. What is the message of Christmas?
1: Well, John 3.16 is a pretty good summary. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But I think we can really help people to see the difference between the superficial materialistic things out there which is being pushed to us as Christmas and the real heart of the Christmas message by asking people, what are you seeking for? And have you noticed those impressive large Christmas trees set up in the many shopping malls, like in Cavendish Square? Surely you've seen those beautifully wrapped presents piled up under those trees, and you'll see many children's eyes wide as they look at these bright, shiny, shimmering presents, often with attractive gold or red ribbons around them. And over the years, when my children were really young, they each asked, what's in those boxes? And my answer always was, absolutely Nothing. They're beautifully wrapped, they're attractively presented, but those presents on the Christmas trees and the shopping malls are all empty. And this is a good sermon illustration because the world offers so much, but in the end it turns out to be empty. It's like the plastic fruit. The world, the flesh, and the devil promise you everything you could possibly desire. If only you will buy their product or their service. You are promised all the fun, fame, and fortune you could desire, all the power, popularity, prestige, possessions your heart could desire, but, like those alluring, attractively looking presents under those Christmas trees in the shopping mall, the promises will turn out to be disappointingly empty. Those who pursue materialism will find merry go rounds that get them nowhere, mazes that get them lost, and dead end streets that will frustrate their desires, cul de sacs. Hedonism, living for pleasure, and existentialism, selfish personal experience only, has proved to be short sighted, meaningless, empty, purposeless. That's the ideologies of most people today, hedonism and existentialism. So we should be asking people, what are you searching for? What is your purpose in life? What is in the boxes you've obtained from the world? We shouldn't be wasting our life in empty boxes of the world. The time-wasting treadmills of trends, fashions, and fads are ultimately frustrating. It's amazing how much of these things that people so covet and seek and um, wrap and hand over on the rubbish heap within the year and if they're made in China they're often on the rubbish heap the next day don't settle for less than God's very best God gives the best to those who leave the choice to Him Jeremiah 29 says and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart and so at Christmas we should be asking what is your life's purpose and the catechisms have their first question what is the chief end of man answer to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever Christmas should remind us of the danger of missing out on what is most important.
0: And for Christians, what is the meaning of Christmas?
1: Well, I think that we can see this very much in um, Isaiah 9 verse 67. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. And that summarizes a lot of what Christmas is all about. The, the message of Christmas is not only of the crib, but of the cross. The wood of the crib should remind us of the cross. He was born to die. And it's not only of the cross, but of the crown, because he rose from dead and he's coming again as King of kings and Lord of lords, eternal judge. So at Christmas, we celebrate the advent of the eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present, holy, glorious Creator. God came into this world. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And so it's right to celebrate the birth of Christ. But we've got to remember the birth of Christ was specifically for the death, the sacrificial death of Christ. And the wood of the manger should remind us of the wood of the cross. And the gold around the Christmas trees and decorations should remind us of the gold of the crown, that he is King of kings and he is Lord of lords. And even the gifts brought by the wise men indicated that, that uh, You had gold for the king of kings, you had myrrh for the um, sacrifice that would take away the need for any other sacrifice, you had incense for the high priest above all high priests. And that's part of the key message of Christmas, the lordship of Christ in all areas of life. He is not only, it's not only unto us a child is born, it is unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." of the increase of his governance and peace, there shall be no end. And so it's so important that we emphasize the whole message of Isaiah 9, verse 6 to 7. Um, it's not just about a babe in a manger. He's no longer a baby in a manger. He's, he's no longer a sacrifice on the cross. He's the risen, ascended, reigning, soon to return, eternal judge. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. That is what we need to be proclaiming at Christmas. Not just um, the cute, sweets idea of a few um, shepherds and wise men and angels singing and um, manger scene. That's where it began. That's not where we should be now.
0: Mm. <clears throat> now that you've covered the message of Christmas and the meaning of Christmas um, as, as a missionary for over 42 years, what to use the mission of Christmas?
1: Well, it's to proclaim to people our wise men still seek Christ. We've got to use Christmas for evangelism. And it's so important God came into this world, and it's so important that his message be known. So as a missionary, um, I'm always trying to find out ways to communicate the message of Christmas uh, to new people. And Christmas gives you a wonderful evangelistic opportunity because it's acceptable to even go to strangers uh, to share the gospel. To uh, be, You can be in a shopping center, and you could be saying to the shop, the center, do you remember whose birthday we're celebrating? And sometimes they've got to stop and think for a moment. You know, yes, uh, whose birthday are we celebrating? And and it's it's so important reminding them, Christmas begins with Christ. It is the Christ festival. And uh, wise men still seek him. So there's so many messages you can communicate to people, like um, asking some of the people who are busy with the hospitality industry, saying, how do you think all those innkeepers of Bethlehem feel? That they turned away the greatest man ever to be born. To think that the innkeepers of Bethlehem had no room for a manual, God with us. They could not accommodate the Creator, the eternal Judge before whom they will have to stand the day of judgment. You know, what a disgrace, what a shame, what a missed opportunity. They missed the opportunity of all time. They could have welcomed the Holy Family, Mary and Joseph with Jesus, into their home or their inn, but they missed out. And so our Lord Jesus was born in a stable, in a cave amongst farm animals. And the question must be where were the priests? Wise men travelled great distances from the east in order to worship the king of kings. The shepherds on the hillside came and worshipped. But where was the mayor of Bethlehem? There's no indication that any of the elders or leading citizens of Bethlehem had um, took the opportunity or returned up there. And this is the greatest event ever to occur in Bethlehem, before or since. They missed out on the greatest opportunity and event ever. Where was the high priest? Where was King Herod? It's extraordinary to note that the entire priesthood of Israel, all the thousands employed at the temple, missed the birth of the Messiah. I mean, the whole purpose of their existence. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And so at his birth, there was no room for Jesus in any of the homes or inns of Bethlehem. Today, there seems to be no room for Jesus at the UN. Nor is there space for Jesus in most of the Xmas cards, in most of the schools, in most of the music. Even nativity seems to be discouraged and banned in many cities around the world. So one of the messages we can give during Christmas is, is there room in your heart for Jesus? They had no room for Jesus when he was born Bethlehem. Is there room in your heart, in your life, in your home for Jesus? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you.
0: Um, <clears throat> over the last uh, past weekend on the Saturday, to be precise, you had an unusual Christmas celebration. Can you please tell us about it, Dr. Hammond?
1: Yes, well, the first time I was ever invited to a Christmas celebration in a mosque. That just sounds bizarre. So, uh, an unusual man, Dr. Taj Hargi, a professor of the Oxford Institute for British Islam, actually organized and hosted this extraordinary event. He lives in Cape Town, but he works in, in uh, Britain, lecturing in Oxford half the year. So, he organized this and as I came in, it was amazing. There are Christian hymns being sung and carols. They're being sung in Arabic, but you can recognize the tunes. And there's English subtitles. And these were set seven films of um, Christian congregations in Egypt and Lebanon, Syria and Iraq, singing the cave church in Egypt, many well-known Christian churches. And so uh, he was broadcasting Christian hymns, sung in Arabic with English subtitles, from persecuted church in the Middle East. And I thought that was remarkable enough. But once I was there, it got even more remarkable because this Dr. Taj Hagi actually invited me to speak to all in attendance. And I've, I've visited mosques before. I've had some debates in mosques and I've asked questions in mosques, but I've never before been able to stand up behind the podium lectern, so to speak, and to present the gospel. So I used the opportunity to relate the inspiring testimony of the Christmas truce in 1914 during World War I. And it remains an extraordinary testimony to the power of the gospel of Christ that during such a terrible time of world war, one of the worst wars in history, soldiers from so many armies, British, German, French, on opposite sides, could sing Christmas carols together, stop fighting, lay their rifles down, come out of their trenches, and embrace the enemies in honor of the Prince of Peace, even having joint worship services. And it just reminds one of the essence of Isaiah 9 verse 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's no peace without the Prince of Peace. If so many soldiers on all sides of a destructive world war could stop fighting and come out of their trenches to celebrate Christmas with their enemies, perhaps we can manage lunch on Christmas Day with our family members. Because, yes, we know we've all got some difficult family members, but... In the light of Christmas truce, maybe we can even get on with some of our neighbors and even some of these people who have different religions. And I was able to point out to the people in the mosque, there's a lot of hatred and animosity in the world and there's a lot of failure. And you can point to a lot of things wrong with governments, with the church, and with uh, so many different uh, parts of the world. But nobody can point to anything wrong with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was and is the only perfect person who ever lived. And even the Quran teaches that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he lived a holy life, that Jesus was without sin, that he healed the sick, that he raised the dead, that he worked miracles, that he actually created life, that he will come again and judge. He is the word of God. He is the Messiah. The Quran teaches that. The Lord Jesus Christ commands us to love our neighbor and even to love our enemy and even commands us to be humble and self-critical. And so I related the teaching of our Lord Jesus on two men went up to the temple to pray, which I've used many a time in visits to Muslim homes, but I'd never before been able to proclaim in a mosque. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Jesus said one was a Pharisee, a religious leader, who lifted up his hands in the front of the temple and declared that he thanked God he was not like other men. He fasted twice a week. He gave tithes of all that he owned. He wasn't like that despised tax collector over there. Whereas the tax collector could not even raise his eyes. He just beat his chest declaring, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Lord Jesus declared that the religious leader prayed to himself and his prayer was not accepted by God. But the humble prayer of this despised tax collector was accepted by God and he went away forgiven by God. And the Lord Jesus taught us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. To do to others, we would have them do to us. To forgive and to give. Freely you've received and freely, freely you should give. So it's an intriguing thing to note. And in fact, this Dr. Taj, uh, the imam at this mosque, pointed out that you cannot be a good Muslim without respecting Jesus. He said, we celebrate the birth of Jesus today because he said, the Quran only mentions the name of Muhammad four times. But the Quran mentions the name of Jesus over 40 times. In fact, there's 93 verses or suras in the Quran that refer to Jesus. And he's referred to by the name Isa 25 times. He's referred to third person 48 times. And first person, he's quoted 35 times. So that's over 70 times you get the Lord Jesus referred to in, in the Quran. And the scripture says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they then call on the one in whom they've not believed? How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? How can I he hear without someone preaching to him? But the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what a privilege to sow gospel seed and to proclaim the gospel in a mosque in preparation for Christmas. And it just reminded me like the Christmas trees. Who else but Jesus could bring Christians and Muslims together in times like this? And there's so much violence and hatred in the world. But only Jesus can bring peace in the middle of a world war or have Christians and Muslims gathering together to celebrate something in, in the mosque. It's quite extraordinary. So this just shows the kind of unique opportunities you have to witness for Christ and yes a lot of Muslims are against Christianity but they do respect Jesus. So if you go and you, you point to Jesus and you speak of what Jesus taught, they will listen respectfully and I've had good experiences with that. and it was a wonderful experience this um, Christmas celebration in a mosque on Saturday and I hope that it'll inspire some of our listeners to maybe try and reach out to some of their Muslim neighbors, maybe even invite them to celebrate Christmas. We don't only have to invite Christians to celebrate Christmas, we can invite non-Christians too, because many people who are hostile to the church still respect Jesus. Yes, they can point to a lot of hypocrites in the church, but nobody can point to anything wrong in Jesus.
0: Yeah, Um Did they know that you were coming? Did you have to RSVP? I
1: did have to RSVP, yes.
0: But you didn't know you were going to have to preach?
1: No, no, I I had no prior warning. But when I was there, he he, um, made a general invitation. Then he started inviting specific people to to contribute. Um, And uh, I was delighted to also see there were some friends of mine, uh, South Korean missionaries who were there too. And I asked them how they got in touch. And they said, well, when the mosque was bombed and when the mosque opened, Uh, They got bombed by the Muslim Judicial Council and they got civil arson attacks and death threats because they are what they say non-sectarian and they're Quran-centric. They don't listen to the Hadith, they just Mm. follow the Quran and they don't segregate women. They say we don't have any uh, gender apartheid here and uh, they they allow the women in the mosque. In fact, when we went in, surprisingly, at the door, I was told you can keep your shoes on, which is unusual. But they had taped down with duct tape big blankets across the floor so that um, we could walk in with our shoes. And I'm very comfortable taking my shoes off to go and witness in a mosque. I've done it many a time. But many people would feel uncomfortable. So to make Christians feel more comfortable to come to the mosque, they covered the floor with blankets. And I suppose that enabled them to say you could come in without taking your shoes off. This is just, again, another example of how thoughtful they were being. But these poor folks, because they're trying to have an open mosque where they welcome our outsiders and even allow women into the mosque, uh, they, uh, which is quite unusual if you've ever tried. When I've taken our teams learning Muslim evangelism to a mosque, frequently the women have just been pushed off in some kind of cupboard somewhere, like almost a broom cupboard, and uh, would not even with a speaker to be able to follow what's going on the service. They didn't want the woman in the mosque itself. And so uh, to have a mosque that's wide open... Uh, like that they've literally got death threats so I was able to share with the um, professor there that I've also had death threats from radical Islamic militants like the government of Sudan that uh, Peter Hammond should expect to be shot on sight he should expect to be bombed every time he comes to Sudan because his writings make him the enemy of the state this man could understand because he's trying he's trying to have an Islam that's only based on the Quran not the Hadith and uh He's, as a result, trying to be uh, more open, more gracious. And as he said, he doesn't see any warrants in the Quran for a lot of what's done by Islam today. A lot of it is from the Hadith, which is, Mm. if people want to know the difference, the Quran is meant to be the words of Allah. And the Hadith is what followers of Muhammad put together as the words of Muhammad, what Muhammad said over the years. And, uh, of course, the Hadith was only finished uh, many years after the death of Muhammad. So um, the Hadith is, it can't have the same weight. Now, many Muslim countries treat the Hadith as equal to the Quran in weight, but this particular mosque does not. And as a result, they've gotten serious death threats. Now, if you compared that to the church, we would not think that there's anything wrong if you say I'm going to restrict my teaching to the Bible. Um, we had a reformation to get away from the traditions and superstitions of the Roman Catholic papacy. Uh, but it seems that uh, Islam needs some kind of reformation too. And this, this man is saying, we want to get back to the Quran. We want to leave out the Hadith. A lot of our problems and violence has come from the Hadith. And that's interesting perspective. But at any rate, it was an opportunity for witness. And we sat at the tables and ministered and shared and chatted with um, not only Muslims, but there were a few Christians who came there who plainly do not have a personal relationship with Christ, but are compromisers. And, uh, so I got the opportunity to witness even to Christians at this mosque. Yeah, or should we say Christians in Muslims?
0: commas. Oh, yeah, fascinating experience. Um, yes. Yeah, and the last Thursday night um, you gave a presentation titled Peace on Earth, Christmas in Times of War. Can you tell us about uh, the Christmas truce that uh, was covered in that talk and other extraordinary Christmas experiences during times of war?
1: Yes, it, it was absolutely amazing. I mean, first of all, um, I heard about... Um, the Christmas truce by word of mouth when I was in Rhodesia already from some people who had fought in the war and they were speaking about the Christmas truce experiences that they had. But I never read about it anywhere because it was forbidden, just banished, censored. The school textbooks uh, made no reference to it and in fact was censored out for centuries, uh, for for most of the last century. And uh, interestingly, in 2014, when I went uh, to England to lecture on the centenary of the start of the First World War, 2014, um, I was able to go and visit the Imperial War Museum. And the Imperial War Museum in London actually had an exhibit just on the Christian on the Christmas truce, which I thought was fascinating, because the British government denied it even happened for many decades. And so now they had pictures of showing British and German and French troops intermingling swapping hats and so on, uh, embracing, swapping ration packs and uh, British were swapping pies for German chocolates and uh, Germans were swapping their chocolates for French wine and they were having joint services and Christmas carols and even playing soccer together. And so there's pictures of this and details and testimonies and quotes from people's letters in the Imperial War Museum where before they denied that this ever happened, that it was an urban legend, myth. Well, what happened was as we approached the centenary of the First World War. There was a resurgence of interest in the First World War and a lot of people start digging in the attic and finding grandma's letters from granddad uh, in the war and many of these letters spoke about the Christmas truce and there was even pictures. And so pictures that had never been published before came out and there was around 2014, phenomenal amount of new material that came out. Um, So it, it turned out that what happened is near Ypres, a, uh, the Germans were singing Silent Night and the British joined in singing Silent Night and then they responded with carols of their own Come All You Faithful and then the Germans started singing oh, Come All You Faithful in Latin and then they spontaneously came out of their trenches walked across No Man's Land greeted one another, exchanged gifts and souvenirs and agreed on a ceasefire for Christmas Day when they buried the, the dead uh, who died between the lines in respectful joint ceremonies and... Uh, They swapped ration packs and pies and chocolates and souvenirs and buttons, badges and hats. And then they played football. And in fact, there's details like British officer Robert Graves wrote of a football match between the 133rd Saxon Regiment and the Scottish troops. And the Germans won 3-2 there. The Glasgow News reported that Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders won their match 4-1. And the Royal Field Artillery Lieutenant Albert Wynne wrote of a soccer match against the Norwegians near Ypres on Christmas Day. And it was intriguing because there were all kinds of orders to open fire. For example, General Sir Horace Smith Dorian, who we know in South Africa as one of the very few British survivors of the Battle of East Wano, where the entire British regiments were annihilated. Well, General Sir Horace Smith Dorian was commanding the British 2nd Corps and he issued orders forbidding fraternization of the enemy and complained his orders were being disregarded by the soldiers. And when he and others ordered the artillery, and the machine gunners to open fire on the on the troops in the no man's land, which of course include their own troops. The artillery and the machine gunners refused on each occasion, and so they complained about this disregarding of their orders. And uh, intriguing, uh, there was such a spirit of of um, Christmas around that the men refused point blank orders to open fire on the intermingling troops, fraternizing troops, which um, the French actually ordered a whole lot of people executed for what they called fraternizing with the enemy. But a lot of great things happened. Now, uh, it's calculated by the British Imperial War Museum over 100,000 troops on the Western Front participated in this um, spontaneous ceasefire. In the Western Front, it was totally spontaneous and it was from the ground up. The soldiers on the ground made the decisions. No officer um, endorsed it or, or ordered it. But on the Eastern Front, we've now discovered that there was a ceasefire that was ordered by the commanders. So that was very different. And the Russian, the Austrian, and the German commanders issued orders, no offensive actions, during the two weeks of Christmas. That's from the 24th of December through to the 6th of January because the Eastern calendar, they celebrate Christmas on the 6th of January. I don't know how many people know that Orthodox Church. If you go to Russia, that's where they'll be celebrating. And so um, the officers on German, Austrian, and Russian sides on the Eastern Front said, no offensive actions, only fire fired upon. And this was observed uh, strenuously throughout the whole Eastern Front, with the exception of Serbia. The Serbian government, which of course was a rogue terrorist sponsoring government, they did not recognize Christmas and they continued fighting. So the Austrians on the Serbian Front had to keep fighting. But for the rest of the Eastern Front, it was a ceasefire for two weeks and it was ordered from the top, which is even more extraordinary when you think of how vicious the Eastern Front got later, uh, that there could have been this kind of Christian chivalry. And the results of the Christmas truce was the French and British uh, governments were outraged and they court-martialed a whole lot of their officers for fraternizing with the enemy. And then they had to pull whole units back from the front and send them to other fronts when they displayed reluctance to fire the enemy. And uh, there were artillery units that, Found to only fire at precise locations at prearranged times, sending messages across saying, we've got to open fire, we're going to only be shooting at this area, avoid that area. And there were instances of soldiers firing high ineffectually to obey orders but not to actually aim at the enemy. And there were times that they came over and said, your trench is about to get artillery barraged, come and shelter our trenches. And so this sort of interesting fraternization took place. and. The Germans had to take whole units and ship them off the Eastern Front because they were now no longer interested in shooting at the men that they've just celebrated Christmas with. And the British had to ship people out to Iraq and other fronts. The French actually put some of their men against the wall and shot them uh, for fraternizing the enemy. The French government even ordered one of the cats who was found to go between the lines to be shot. And this this, uh, could not be done because the men could not catch the cat, they said. So nobody was interested in implementing that order, but... You know, of course, cats are going to wander and do what they want. I don't know how many people realize, but there were thousands of cats employed on the, on the uh, trenches because the biggest problem they had was rats, big rats, you know, eating the people and so on. So the most effective way of dealing with rats was to employ cats. So there were cats deployed throughout the trenches, and they said they were very effective in making life more livable for their soldiers. And, of course, many adopted them as pets and mascots. Anyway, so when the French were ordered by a general to execute the cat for fraternizing with the enemy. Nobody was interested in obeying that order. And there was, again, attempts in 1915, a few successful fraternization events took place, joint burial services, some soccer matches and so on, and uh, there was one Scots Guards officer, Sir Ian Callaghan, who was court-martialed for defying orders by maintaining a short truce to bury the dead between lines, Christmas Day 1915. And he could have been shot, but because he was related to British Prime Minister H.H. Ashworth, the punishment was commuted and he lived. In 1916, 1917, the Germans attempted to initiate um, Christmas truces, but they were rebuffed by British artillery barrages that had been planned ahead to prevent this. And now, recent evidence has come to light that there was a successful Christmas truce, even in 1916, between the Germans and Canadian soldiers by Vimy Ridge, and exchanged Christmas greetings and presents, and even visited one another's lines on 25 December. So there have been Christmas truce memorials unveiled in France and in Belgium during these celebrations of the centenary. In particular, I saw one um, near Ypres that the Australians set up 90, sorry, 85 years after the event, and they laid some footballs and wreaths there. And while I was there, I even got a picture of a cat who was wandering around who it looked like maybe it was related to the original Felix or Nestor from uh, that first Christmas tree. So there's a film now on this, a 2005 French film, Joyeux Noël, or Merry Christmas in French, which has subtitles for the French and the German so that you can watch it in English too. And uh, it shows the Christmas truce through the eyes of the French, Scottish, and German soldiers in the Western Front.
0: Dr. Hammond, how can we use Christmas to witness to our neighbors and advance the kingdom of God?
1: I think there's quite a lot of things you can do. There's some lovely tracks. I've produced tracks like uh, The Greatest Man uh, Who Ever Lived, um, which is specifically designed as a Christmas tract. and there's some outstanding leaflets that we've seen at Literature for Africa to distribute, and World Mystery Press has got The Amazing Life of Christ booklets. So... There's some good gospel literature that we can be distributing around Christmas time, and asking people questions like, "Do you remember whose birthday we're celebrating?" And um, what gift are you planning to give uh, the Lord Jesus, whose birthday we're celebrating? And it gets people thinking. You know, what gift can you give to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Savior, the Eternal Lord, the Eternal Judge? And well, we can give them our time. We can give them our attention. Um, Andrew brought a little boy to Jesus. The little boy gave Jesus lunch, five loaves and two fish, and the Lord used that to multiply and feed thousands. So God can do a lot with little. You know, what can you give Jesus? Well, Zacchaeus invited Jesus to his home and then he did restitution of what he had taken uh, unfairly. And so there again, we've got another example of what you can give the Lord. The Lord says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So, Giving the Lord our attention, reading his Bible, listening to him, um, obeying him are some of the gifts we could give. But uh, there's some good evangelistic literature we can use. We can also invite family and friends around to our home for a Christ-centered carol singing and a Christ-centered service and meal. And uh, many churches are offering special events at times like this, like Christmas carol services and um 12 readings and carols and so on, well worth doing. Maybe some churches nearby are organising a Handel's Messiah concert, which is definitely the best way you can possibly celebrate Christmas. Is to listen to Handel's Messiah, which is all scripture. And uh, I think also you can invite people around your home to see some great Christian films, Christmas-related films like The Nativity Story of Ben-Hur, uh, or uh, uh, there's, there's some outstanding... Um, Ben Hur, Jesus of Nazareth, Joyce Noel on the Christmas tree These would be good things you could invite friends and neighbours to see, and uh, um, also just the hospitality. I remember as a as a young single, being invited to people's homes for Christmas, and that was very meaningful. To have a Christmas a Christian family who will look around and say, "Who's astray?" and we often would try to invite people who may not have a f- home or family to invite them for Christmas lunch to. And uh, we sometimes had people from other countries visiting that we could invite around on Christmas Day uh, lunch. And so I think there's quite a few ways we can reach out to neighbours. One thing I've always tried to do is to take gifts to the local police station, often baked um, cookies or cake. And sometimes we've organised some gifts like fluffy animals and colouring in books and children's Bibles to hospitals like the children's hospital near our mission, Red Cross Children's Hospital. Um, we've gone in Christmas. Even the poor kids who stuck in there over Christmas and they don't have home to go back to or something like that, it's so good that they get a visit. So visiting people in hospital. Now, friends of ours, uh, small Paul and his family, they've gone, uh, they're evangelists. They've actually taken the family to prison, like Paltzmore Prison for Christmas Day and spent Christmas Day with uh, prisoners sharing with them the the reason for the season. So there's some pretty um, interesting things that one can do to be able to witness to our neighbors. And I think reaching out to essential services like people who work in the hospital, the fire brigade and the prison, just taking some uh, cake or cookies to them and showing some um, compassion, appreciation, a card of appreciation for what they're doing. Uh, This can be a powerful witness.
0: Yeah, can you just run through the list of films again that you recommend?
1: Well, Ben-Hur is a classic, always worth seeing. Jesus of Nazareth is also a phenomenally well-made film with a big emphasis on on the, the nativity. There's a outstanding film that came out a while ago which Ted Bear called, of Movie Guard called A, a Perfect Film, uh, The Nativity Story, which is, has such pace and drama and jeopardy and it's so well presented and it's biblical. The Nativity Story, well worth watching. And Joy X Noel is my personal favorite, dealing with the Christmas truth. So Joy X Noel, um, Ben-Hur, Nativity Story, Jesus in Nazareth, or the Jesus film, all highly recommended. And I would say, in addition to uh, that, Handel's Messiah. Now, you can go online and and watch a Handel's Messiah presentation. If you don't have Handel's Messiah nearby, um, that a church or concert is being put on, and we used to have this every year because my wife would sing, be singing and it's as part of the Cape Town Symphony Orchestra uh, choir. But um, I would say you must go online and just see what you can uh, listen to. I must say, I think the best presentation of Handel's Messiah is probably done by the Tabernacle Choir. Um, Tabernacle Choir depiction is very high standard. huge choir and it's absolutely excellent. And it's all scripture. You can't go wrong with something like Handel's Messiah because it's just singing scripture. And uh, I think Handel's Messiah and a film like The Nativity Story of Ben-Hur was an excellent way of focusing your family on the meaning of Christmas. Mm-hmm. And
0: um, are there any other resources that you'd recommend that would enable us to be more effective in evangelism and discipleship?
1: Yes, contact any literature ministry near you. Like in Cape Town, our Literature for Africa ministry, we've got lots of booklets and tracks that are specifically designed to be effective for Christmas. But you can go onto our livingstonfellowship.co.za website and download The Greatest Man Who Ever Lived, and that's um, that's free. You can download it. It's in English and in Afrikaans as well. Um, and that's designed to distribute to people around Christmas. And that's just one of the good Christmas resources. If you contact World Missionary Press or All Nations Gospel Publishers in Pretoria or Scripture Gift Mission or any other, literature ministry, you know of Daily Bread, I'm sure they'll give you lots of great, good resource that you could use for evangelism, but how wonderful to give people gospel at Christmas. Now, when I was converted, the first Christmas I celebrated as a Christian, I gave everyone a Bible for Christmas, and all rolling their eyes at this baby of the family, the youngest of the family, was becoming a religious fanatic. But I then saw later on, uh, even when my father and mother died, I saw amongst their possessions, there was the Bible I gave them that Christmas, 1977. So, it it sowed seeds. It was, it, it brought people to Christ. It was worth. Well, if you've got unsaved family members, think about giving them a Bible for Christmas, or maybe they'd prefer a Christian film or something like that. But you can
0: find something along that line that would really help. Hmm. Um, Seeing as this is the time of giving, Christmas. Are there any projects that are close to your heart that you recommend?
1: Yes, so one of our long-standing projects since 1982 has been Boxes with Love for Zimbabwe. People in Zimbabwe are suffering some of the worst deprivations imaginable, complete collapse of government, complete collapse of almost everything. They don't have power failures. They occasionally get electricity. Most of the time there's no power. Often there's no water in the taps. I mean, the situation is very, very bad. It's a totally failed government. Uh, But in that situation, we've often taken Boxes, it started with shoeboxes, but it's gone to be bigger than that now, where we put a whole lot of essential items, non um, things that won't uh, go stale or, or go off easily, uh, both cleaning and medical materials in there, as well as basic things that can be very helpful, good basic foods, toothpaste and toothbrushes and soaps and um, tins of bully beef and sweets and some gospel literature, devotional materials. So we put a whole lot of things that will really help the people um, in a box and we deliver them across the board of Zimbabwe. And we've had people sponsor these boxes with love and it costs us something in a region of uh, 130 rand um, in dollars. That's less than $10 a box. And we go and buy bulk and we get good deals for bulk amounts and we divide them up in the boxes and we deliver these to uh, the people in Zimbabwe, mainly pensioners, but also pastors and some prisoners. So some of the most destitute people in Zimbabwe, it's a way of giving Christmas cheer and, and encouraging the people. So idea of Box with Love, whether you arrange it yourself or whether you sponsor some that we do for Zimbabwe, Our Box with Love to Zimbabwe is one of our projects, of our Give, and Go projects that you'll see on the Frontline Mission SA.org website. And uh, I think Box with Love to Zimbabwe, or to any other destitute Christians that you know, is a good positive project Um, then we've got other major printing projects coming up like um, a resistance and reformation in Romania book which was Bill Bethman's unpublished manuscript which was my wife's last project she digitized this um, manuscript he had typed up and now it's been typeset by yourself and now we're ready to get it um, with pictures into the printer and um, that project needs sponsorship that's an excellent book on the persecuted church with a message very relevant for us today. We've got the Great Commission handbook, which I want to give as textbooks to Bible colleges and missions all over Africa, putting the best of our lectures and Bible studies on how to fulfill the Great Commission in a handbook that people can have as a resource like our chaplain's handbook. And we've got a case for secession for the Cape of Good Hope, which is also needing sponsorship. So we've got some different printing projects And also, there's always more people wanting to come to our Biblical Worldview Summits and Great Commission courses than we have funds for or that they have funds for. So if people are willing to sponsor uh, worthy, deserving um, students, candidates to come to the Great Commission course or the Biblical Worldview Summit, uh, there's also on our Gives and Go projects on the uh, Frontline Mission, sa.org website, it's looking for sponsorship for people who are deserving coming to these camps and courses as well.
0: Um, are there any upcoming events that you'd like to uh, inform the listeners to think about or to pray about?
1: Yes, please. Uh, uh, Aside from praying for upcoming Sunday, uh, Christmas uh, Eve Sunday services and the Christmas Day Monday services, which are wonderful evangelistic opportunities around the world, uh, pray for our Biblical Worldview Summits beginning on the 5th of January, Friday the 5th of January. That's a week-long crash course for people preparing to go to university, young people being thrown into this hostile, anti-Christian environment at the universities, most are not prepared to know how to handle the transgender, transhumanism, uh, anti-Christian, evolutionary nonsense that they get thrown with, to give them a firm foundation of faith to know what they believe, why they believe it, how to answer the different challenges of our day, how to respond to the transgender cult and the um, endless anti-Christian cancel culture, critical race theory and all the other Marxist nonsense that's on the go, people who go to the Biblical Worldview Summit are far better prepared to be able to stand up for their faith and not compromise and not be um, propagandized in in these universities, which are often very hostile environments. And then it's followed up by the Great Commission course, which is a full three weeks of um, preparing people who are keen for missions, cross-cultural missions, which is Body, Mind, and Spirit. We've been doing these courses for over 30 years, and these are great uh, opportunities to train people in biblical worldview and, and Great Commission. And our Great Commission course is PT, Hikes, Practicals, Outreaches, Exams. It's, it's very hands-on, and it's very practical and intense. So um, these are good things to attend. And if you know young people, it might be the best Christmas present you can give as a sponsorship to a family or f- member or friend, to go and come and be part of the Biblical Worldview Summit or the Great Commission course in Cape Town. And of course, more of these details are all available on our website, Frontline Mission, SA, which is short for South Africa, Frontline Mission, And you look for events and it's got videos, pictures, reports, details about what's involved. We've got guest speakers coming from overseas for this too, including Colonel John Eidsmo, who's a a very accomplished lawyer and attorney and professor of constitutional law. He's written a lot of books on that sort of thing. And he's going to be one of the speakers. And we've got Stephen Craft, who's got a dynamic, powerful testimony as someone who came out of the Black Panthers and uh, life of crime and was converted by Christ. And he's a powerful speaker against the BLM, uh, cancel culture kind of nonsense that we get from the left today. He understands how communism works because he was in amongst it and deceived by it and now He's got the zeal of a convert. So, Steve Craft and uh, and U.S. Air Force Colonel John Eidsmo, a uh, chaplain, um, will be two of our guest speakers at these courses. That would also be available for public meetings in the area if anyone's listening from Cape Town. But uh, we'll be um, having this program starting on the fourth of January, all the way through to the twenty-fifth of January.
0: Thank you for a fascinating and wide-ranging uh, show, Dr. Hammond. Um, we'd like to wish our listeners a blessed Christmas. Thank you very much for joining us for from the front line. God bless and good night.